Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to us now, every single one of us. Those of us who are here with our hearts full, those who are here with our hearts empty, those of us who are encouraged, those of us who are struggling. Lord, you know our needs, you know our thoughts, you know our days. We ask that you come and speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Bible talks a lot about the one thing that we need to do in order to unlock the secret of life. Uh, in fact, on six different occasions, the Bible says one thing, and we're, this is the second in our series uh, going through these one thing uh, statements. So last week, we thought about the priority of prayer. In Luke 10, verse 42, Jesus tells Martha, uh, one thing is needed. You are worried and upset about many things, but your sister Mary's done the right thing. She sat at my feet. She's talked to me. She's listened to me. One thing, prayer. This week, we're thinking about the priority of God's presence. Psalm 27, verse 4 says, one thing I ask from the Lord. <clears throat> this is only what I, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One of our distinctives uh, as Emmaus, one of our distinctives in 24-7 prayer, is that we are consumed with a love for, a desire for the presence of God. We're not into just playing religious games. We actually want to know God. We want to talk to God. We want to meet with God. And we're massively committed, as you know, to mission. We're committed to social transformation. We're committed to building community. We're committed to making a difference. But at the heart of it all is a passion for the presence of God, this one thing. And everything flows into and out of that place of encounter with God. That's why we're praying continually, uh, so that people can get with God and experience his presence for themselves, cut out the middle man. And um, so we're going to look together at Psalm 27, verses 4 to 8, coming up on the screen uh, now, I think. And um, this is a Psalm of David, 3,000 years old, and yet resonates deeply with how so many of us feel uh, today. David writes, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Okay, let me tell you where we're going to go with this today. Um, this time last week, I was in Coleraine in Northern Ireland uh, at Causeway Coast Vineyard, celebrating their 16th birthday. And uh, the, I, I saw such amazing things there that, frankly, I've come uh, back to Guildford today with just this passion, saying, God, if you can do it there, you can do it here. Uh, since January last year, 
Uh, in Coleraine, they have seen more than 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time, most of them not in church meetings. That church itself began 16 years ago with six people in a living room, and today there are around 2,500 uh, people making a profound difference in their community. They're growing so fast. It's ridiculous. And, um, you know, the answers to prayer are so extraordinary that they get together every week and spend an hour just telling the stories of what God's been doing. But their rule is you're not allowed to talk about anything that's more than a week old. And, uh, and they still take an hour and have to stop at the end of the say, that's enough now. Because there's just so much wonderful stuff that's going on. I'll tell you one or two of the, the stories. <clears throat> And before you just write this off as hype or, you know, kind of flaky or something, let me tell you, last Sunday morning, we took up an offering in Coleraine uh, for a, 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 a compassion center. We raised half a million pounds last Sunday, and uh, it's for a, a center where the, the, um, it's a one-door policy. So what they're saying is, we're the people of God. We're here to make a difference in people's lives, especially if they're struggling. And so we want to create one door where no matter what you're struggling with, you can come and find help without having to fill in lots of bits of paper or go from pillar to post. You can go if you've got mental health issues, if you've got medical issues, you need a clinic, if you've got spiritual uh, health issues, if, you need, if, if you've got problems with your marriage, if you need to get free from addiction, if you need debt counseling, one door. And so they raise that money. They're establishing that center there. And they're just making a phenomenal difference. I said to them, God's got more for you. I've noticed boarded up buildings in your town. Uh, surely you can make a difference there. And they took me aside later and they said, we ha- we've got a plan. We've decided we're starting to build, buy up every single boarded up business and plant a business back into every boarded up, closed down one. We're starting with two. We've taken a low end one and a high end one. All these guys are coming to know Jesus off the streets. Many of them from quite broken backgrounds. We're training them up. We're starting business. We're putting them in, and our aim is to make sure that this whole area prospers because the people of God are alive and Jesus is in our midst. And I came back thinking, wow, if God can do it there, he can do it here. Uh, Jesus isn't kind of more risen from the dead there than he is here. And, and uh, we, we can see this happen. And so, yes, I'm encouraged that we've doubled in size the last couple of years in a row. And uh, yes, I'm encouraged all the stories that are going, but I'm longing for more of the presence of God. So what I'm going to do today is I'm not going to do a clever exposition of this passage. I'm not going to get into the eschatological significance of the dwelling place of God or the hermeneutics of it all. I am simply going to tell you the kind of stories that will deliberately be designed to tantalize you and get you excited and hungry for more. And I will consider my job successful if you leave this building deeply frustrated with your present situation, longing for more of God. Is that okay? Are you, are you up for this? Okay, good. So 3,000 years ago, King David's glorious obsession, his consuming passion was the presence of God. Not power, not wealth, not status. His desire was to seek God and to see God in all his beauty. And perhaps you, you, you resonate with that today, all these years later. David's desire echoes with the desires of your own heart. I know that that is true because numbers of you have told me so. Uh, someone emailed me this week and said, every week at Emmaus, I am being slammed by the Holy Spirit. Just what I've been longing for. Uh, someone else said, I feel like I'm coming awake spiritually. 
Someone told me recently, I feel that I'm hungrier than ever before to really know God. Someone said, when the worship starts, I feel the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. Uh, Someone else said, I feel like I'm hearing God for the first time in my life. There's someone on our Alpha at the moment who, um, two weeks ago, we had the session on why did Jesus die? Hannah McVeigh spoke brilliantly. And this woman came in struggling with questions around that. But as Hannah explained it, as the discussion groups happened, the lights just went on for this woman. She said, it makes sense. I get it. And, And we're watching someone just coming alive with the excitement of all the possibilities of faith. And um, I want to show you a story about the power of the presence of God. Uh, This is a a story uh, that we recorded in uh, Madrid in Spain last October. And uh, it's two of our friends, one of them speaking Spanish, the other translating in English. Uh, well, American, actually, as you're here. And uh, uh, th- this video, we popped it up online, and it's been viewed more than 40,000 times already. It's the most extraordinary testimony. So take a look at the screens and watch this. Oh, sorry. Can I just go? <laughs> nope, sorry. You missed your opportunity. I'm going to ready? Yeah. Hey. Hey, I'm Jazz. My name is Tiel. And we're here in Spain. Y estamos alucinando con lo que Dios está haciendo en España. We're so excited about what God is doing in Spain. Durante mucho tiempo hemos escuchado historias de lo que Dios ha hecho en otros países. During a lot of many years we heard about what God was doing in other countries. Hemos escuchado cómo Dios se ha aparecido en sueños a los musulmanes. We've heard about how God has showed up in dreams with Muslims. Pero no estábamos listos para pensar que eso podía ocurrir en España. But we weren't prepared to see that that was going to start happening here in Spain. Y esta historia es una historia real. And this story is a real story. De un hombre que se llama Fernando, a man whose name is Fernando, al cual bauticé la semana pasada. Who I baptized last week. Su historia comienza más o menos hace tres años. His story starts about three years ago. Cuando su mujer consigue una Biblia, when his wife gets a Bible, está leyéndola en la cocina. She's reading it in the kitchen. Y lee las letras rojas. She reads all the, le- the red letters. Y tiene una convicción de pecado. And she has a conviction of her sin. De que necesita un salvador. That she needs a savior. Ella está sola ahí. She's by herself in the Se kitchen. Se arrodilla en la cocina. She gets on her knees. Y entrega su vida a Jesús. And she gives her life to Jesus. Sale a la calle en busca de una iglesia. She goes out onto the street looking for a church. Y encuentra la nuestra. And she finds our church. Y celebramos el momento. And we celebrate the moment. Y ella pensaba que su marido también lo iba a celebrar. And she thought that her husband would be excited. Pero cuando llegó a casa y le comentó acerca de su nueva fe. But when she got home and, ex- and told her husband about her new faith. Él se volvió en su principal enemigo. He became her enemy. Empezó a maltratarle psicológicamente. He started to abuse her psych- psychologically. Hacerle presión. To make, do pressure on her. A no dejar a la niña, a su hija ir al, a, a la iglesia. He wouldn't let their daughter go to church. Y la tensión fue tan grande que finalmente tuvieron que creer and the tension was so strong that they finally had to create a distance. En dos casas they separated and living in two different houses. The church, we were committed, we were praying for the conversion of her husband. Y puedo decir algo, muy and we were very committed to praying for him. Por él. We prayed for him. La niña una obra de en Navidad, le when their, their little daughter would do a sketch or something for the holidays at church, we would invite him. Preparamos los mejores sandwiches para que se convirtiese we would prepare the best sandwiches so that he would get saved el mejor mensaje the best message y siempre nos rechazaba and he always rejected us no quería tener nada que ver con el cristianismo he didn't want to have, what to have anything to do with era violento era agresivo he was aggressive and violent y de repente 
hace tres meses en una reunión no evangelística veo que entra por la puerta está toda la reunión llorando y cuando termina la predicación sale el llamado llorando y entrega su vida a Jesús yo no me lo podía creer me acerqué a él después de la reunión y le pregunté pero ¿Cómo es posible que estés hoy aquí? Todos los, estos años detrás de ti para que entregases tu vida a Jesús. Y hoy que nadie te invita, estás aquí. Y el hombre con su carácter me dice, dímelo tú. Tú sabes muy bien. Y digo, yo no tengo ni idea, no, no sé a qué te refieres. Dice, seguro que alguno de vosotros me lo ha enviado. Y yo estaba así, digo, no tengo ni idea de lo que me estás hablando. Y me dice, lo sabes muy bien. Y, y dice, a ver, explícamelo, le dije. Dije, pues entré a mi casa... He said, well, I went into my house, abrí la puerta del salón the door to the room, y de repente estaba ahí suddenly, he was there. digo, ¿pero quién estaba ahí? And I said, Who was there? ¡Jesús! He said, Jesus. ¡Jesús estaba ahí! Jesus was there. con los brazos abiertos With open arms, sonriéndome smiling. y me dice, Fernando, and he says, Fernando te amo I love you. ven a mí Come to me. pero tenía tanto miedo But I was so scared que salió corriendo de casa that he ran out, se fue a un supermercado went to a supermarket, y compró una Biblia and he bought a Así de gorda, This big. con dibujos de, de, de todo tipo. With all these different types of drawings. Porque no quería entrar en casa sin una Biblia por si acaso. Abre la puerta, mira. He opens the door, looks y estás in. todavía ahí. He says, still there? Y durante una semana. And during a whole, for a whole la presencia week, de Jesús estuvo en esa casa. The presence of God was in that, por in momentos. That house. Different moments. Eh, él me dice que por las noches sentía como eh, Jesús le tocaba la cara. Y toda la agresividad, And all the aggression, toda la violencia, all the violence, todo el rechazo, all the rejection, fue cambiado por el amor de Dios was changed by the love of God, en un deseo in one desire, de rendirse a sus pies. Of giving his life to God. Vino a la iglesia Came to church, y la semana pasada le bautizamos. And last week we baptized es un hombre nuevo. New man. Ha dejado el alcohol, He's stopped drinking, ha dejado su vieja vida He's stopped his old lifestyle, y él dice, And he says, estoy aquí por la presencia que me vino a buscar. I'm here because of the presence that came and found me. Eso está pasando en España. That's happening here in Spain. Entonces, yo creo que Dios tiene su mirada puesta en España. So I think God has his eyes on Spain. <laughs> ¿Otra historia? Otra historia. Bueno, esta es de un amigo. The presence of God. Uh, it's not always quite as dramatic as that, is it? But uh, it changes everything when Jesus shows up in, in, in our lives. And I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about one of my absolute favorite Bible characters who for me epitomizes the power of the presence of God in our lives. This is a minor character in the Bible. Blink and you'll miss him. His name uh, is Obadidom. And he pops up in 1 Chronicles. He photobombs the story of David twice and then disappears. And uh, uh, he, he, the, the, the deal is this. 
King David is trying to move the Ark of the Covenant, this great wooden box with the angel wings on it that, that is the, the, the focal point of the presence of God on earth. King David is trying to get the Ark of the Covenant into his city, into Jerusalem. But he's kind of a little bit blasé, a little bit too chilled out about it. He's just shoved the Ark of the Covenant on the back of an ox's cart and it's going down the road and the cart hits a rut and the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall and a poor chap well-meaning, his name is Azar, reaches out to steady the ark and he touches the ark of the covenant, the single holiest thing on earth and he is struck dead by the presence of God. Did you notice in that story that, that, that when Fernando saw Jesus, he was afraid. There is something appropriate about fear when the God of the universe appears in front of you. And Uzzah was struck dead, and suddenly David is terrified and realizes this is the presence of God in our midst. He aborts the mission, and he goes to the nearest landowner that he can find, who is this guy, Obadidim. And he, he, he asks one of the most remarkable questions in world history. He rings the bell, Obadidim answers the door. He says, would you mind looking after the Ark of the Covenant for a little while? And so what do you say? Uh, Obadidim says, okay. The ark stands there in Obadidim's living room for three months. Can you imagine, kids, don't touch it. Why not just don't touch it? And, and as the ark, I mean, this is Indiana Jones, eat your heart out stuff. As the ark dwells in Obadidim's house, we read that everything is blessed. His business is blessed. He prospers. His relationships are blessed. I imagine an incredible atmosphere of worship in the house, uh, that, that, that it was easier to hear God's voice. I was with a prophet last weekend, and he said to me, here in Coleraine, I'm just finding it so easy to hear God because of what God is doing in this place. It's just easier to tune in. I imagine that the kids are, are more harmonious than usual. I imagine neighbors coming around just to enjoy the presence of God in Obadidim's house. And the blessing is such that eventually King David gets jealous. Now you have to be significantly blessed for your, in your business and in your family for the king of your nation to get jealous of what's happening in your little house. And so David goes, I really can't leave the ark blessing him any longer. I've got to get it into the heart of my city. And this time he carries the ark appropriately with due reverence into Jerusalem. And every few steps they sacrifice. And, and the Holy Spirit seems to have fallen with such power that that's the story where David ends up dancing in his underpants, just sort of carried away in worship. What is worship if not some kind of reversion to the innocence and the trust and the, uh, of childhood? And, and so there's this beautiful uh, moment. And Obadidim then disappears from the Bible story almost. But then his name, tantalizingly, just keeps popping up. And every time he pops up, we we can only assume it's the same guy. But uh, it's just fascinating to see what happens after Obadidim has housed the presence of God. First of all, in 1 Chronicles 15, we hear that there's a temple porter, a doorman in the temple called Obadidim. And then we hear that there's a singer in the temple worship band appointed by the Levites called Obadidim. And then we hear that there's a treasurer in the temple called 
over Dedham. And so if we're right in assuming it's the same guy, what is going on where a man whose business is so successful, the king of his nation has been provoked to jealousy, starts to take up jobs in the worship band and as a doorman in in the temple and then doing the bookkeeping? Why is this going on? Why has he made this massive downward step in his whole career trajectory? And the answer is the one commonality is all three of those funny little jobs were in the temple. He wanted to get as close to the Ark of the Covenant as he possibly could because he missed the days when the presence of God was in his living room. See, there is something when we start to encounter the presence of God that nothing else will do. We long for His presence. We are ruined for the ordinary. And if we have to be a bookkeeper, or if we have to sing in the worship band, or if we have to be a humble doorman in the house of the Lord, so be it. One thing I desire, this is what I see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may get close and live close to the presence of God. That is a little bit of my experience, and I'm sure yours, in prayer rooms. I tend to go into the prayer room sort of grumbling a bit, thinking, oh, life's busy, and there's all these other things that are going on, and then I get there, and the door shuts, and generally I find myself alone with God. And almost without fail, there's a moment where I just give a heavy sigh and go, oh yeah, this is what it's all about. All that stuff that seems so important, far more important than getting into the prayer room, is really nothing compared to being with God, listening to Him. And I have this kind of, hello Jesus moment, you know, when everything else changes shape and color. But maybe you're here thinking, I struggle to relate. Maybe Obededom's passion, David's passion for God's presence sounds worthy but unattainable. Maybe you feel like you did well just to get to church today. Maybe you had a blazing row. Maybe it sounds a bit flaky and over the top to you, a bit super spiritual, a bit un-British to be so obsessed with the presence of God. And yet, The presence of God has been the glorious obsession of some of the least flaky, most influential people in world history. Let's take Martin Luther King. He had an extraordinary moment. I think he's going to come up on the screen here. Martin Luther King. Have we got the picture? Maybe not. doesn't matter. You know what he looks like. Martin Luther King. He, uh, um, there was a particular night where he had been just crying out, realizing that he couldn't handle the pressure. He had had a particularly abusive phone call. He says he woke at three in the morning and made coffee and just didn't know what to do, didn't know. He was worried about his children. He was worried about his own life. He was worried about all the responsibilities he was carrying for the civil rights movement. And he admitted later that he prayed, and he said this. He said, Lord, I'm taking a stand for what I believe is right. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I can't face it alone. And he later said that at that moment, I experienced the presence 
of the divine as I had never experienced him before. And his wife would later say that something happened that night that imbued him with the strength, the power, the confidence, and the resolve to walk the path that he did. It was the turning point, alone with his maker. The presence of God changes everything. I had the privilege a couple of years ago of interviewing Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And uh, one of the questions I asked him was, I said to him, Archbishop, Arch is what you have to call him, Arch, uh, how, how, um, how come you know, you're quite an old man now and you still have such a fire in your belly? You're still you know, fighting your fights and speaking out. And how have you kept the fire in your belly all those years? And he did that funny little laugh that he does and he says, oh, it's through prayer. It's prayer. If I didn't pray then I couldn't do this. That's what keeps the fire going. It's the presence of God fueling that Nobel Peace Prize winner. Of course, most encounters with God are less dramatic than Obadidum with the ark in his living room or Martin Luther King or Desmond Tutu. Generally, God speaks to us in the mother tongue of our own particular psychology and circumstance. And everyone encounters God differently at different times. Abraham was 99 years old when he had his life-changing encounter with the presence of God. David was appointed in his teens when he wasn't expecting it. Jacob wrestled all night with an angel. Uh, a teenager called Mary had an angel just show up in her room and say, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Moses had a casual conversation with a bush one day. Uh, Mary Magdalene encountered the presence of God in someone she thought was a gardener. Anna looked at the face of a baby and saw the presence of God. Isaiah was mysteriously transported into heaven. Job endured a, a unspeakable pain before his great epiphany. A blind Bartimaeus received his sight uh, and Saul lost his sight in, the, in order to begin uh, to see. For some of us, our encounters with the presence of God are like fireworks on the Damascus Road, and some it's a gradual dawning on the Emmaus Road. It doesn't really matter how you experience the presence of God, but it matters eternally that you do so. I was very moved this week with the news that Dennis Sheehan who is the um, manager of U2, uh, uh, the road manager of U2 for more than 30 years. He died Wednesday before last in a hotel in Los Angeles, had a sudden heart attack. Uh, Dennis Sheehan uh, was a godly man who sought the presence of God all his life. He used to use the 24-7 prayer podcast when he was on the road for his own discipleship. And Rick Warren went to comfort the band when having lost their friend. If you've ever listened to the song, under a, uh, the album Under a Blood Red Sky, there's an amazing bit where you too get the whole um, audience to sing along to their paraphrase of Psalm 40, the song just called 40. And everyone is singing out, how long must we sing this song? It's from the Psalms. But that singing was started by Dennis Sheehan. He's a man who spent his life pursuing the presence of God and now he is in the presence of God. This is the hope we have in the gospel and I'm particularly mindful of it today because dear loved members of this community uh, are grieving. Catherine Bennett uh, lost her mother uh, two nights ago. 
And so our, our prayers are with Martin and Catherine and with the three kids. And Martin was here this morning in the first service, weeping. But he said to me, you know what, Pete? The presence of God was so strong in the hospice. And, and every death is a loss, is a robbing. There's something fundamentally wrong in dying. And yet he said, it was a good death. We, 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 we prayed together. Her husband was by her side. We got to say goodbyes. And now she has gone to be in the presence of the Lord. God's presence is the one thing that makes sense of everything. When I received the news that my father had died, I was in Hong Kong. And I remember going to a little tin hut room and reading Psalm 23, and finding some sense of comfort. It didn't make the pain go away, but it recalibrated the chaos. I remember preparing to make my vows to Sammy to get married, and thinking, help. I'm terrified, not because she's not wonderful. She is. Who wouldn't want to promise everything to this woman? No, you can't. You're too late, but you know. But, I, but, but I, you know, I'm a bloke, and I, I overthink sometimes, and I have commitment issues. And, and I, I thought, in, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, help. I don't know how my life's going to pan out. How can I make these promises? And I realized that someone else had made a promise to me. He had said to me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I realized that whilst I cannot know the future, I can know that whatever comes in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, he will be with me and he will give me the strength. And I was able to make my promises on the basis of his faithfulness to me as a promise giver. When Sammy and I were awaiting her brain surgery, which we've talked very openly about, and we were more scared than we'd ever been in our lives. We looked at Philippians chapter 4 and experienced the peace and the presence of God amidst the terror of the moment. Recently, as I shared a few months ago, a couple of years ago actually, I, I, I felt I was doing too much. I felt I was at capacity trying to hold down three jobs. And I went to God saying, I just can't do this anymore. I'm knackered. I need you to tell me what to do. And he's, he, he came out a left field, and he, he, he just said to me, hold your nerves, son. And I can't describe to you how just new energy and life came into me at that moment because I knew that God was with me and God had spoken to me. His presence changes everything. And so as I finish, I want to tell you one story from Coleraine, where I was last weekend. I said to you that they're constantly sharing these extraordinary testimonies, amazing stories. But let me tell you this one. This uh, lady, her name is Holly. She's 26 years old. And uh, this is just in the last three weeks. So she, um, when she was a child, she's very open about this. Uh, it's given permission for me to share this story. As a child, she was abused. And it was systematic. But um, she had this extraordinary experience of um, something terrible happening. She felt a hand, an invisible hand, gripping her right arm. 
quite often. And whenever that happened, and it had begun with the abuse, so I guess some people would say that it was psychological, but she would say that it was spiritual. She, she felt a darkness and a fear that came upon her whenever this invisible hand gripped her arm. And she grew up with it, and uh, a number of quite self-destructive patterns unfolded in her life. She met a guy called Paul, and uh, they had three kids. And um, still this fear and self-destruct, uh, and suicidal thoughts, back to the, the, just the brokenness of her, her life thus far, plagued her. And then she met my friend Scott McNamara, um, three weeks ago, and he told her about Jesus and prayed with her. And she said for the first time since the age of four, she felt the hand just leave her arm, and she was set free, and, and um, she gave her life to the Lord. And she went to talk to her boyfriend, Paul. She thought he'd be excited, but instead the strangest thing happened that I think a psychologist might find hard to explain, but we as people of faith don't find hard to explain. The thing that had been gripping her arm started to grip his arm. He'd never had it before, but when she was set free, it was as if the spirit moved. And uh, he said he started to feel this thing, began to grip his arm, and this fear and terror would come upon him. And um, Scott and one or two of my other friends said that he became very, very aggressive towards Christians. Whenever he came into contact with any of them, he would scream and yell, and blaspheme, and just almost lose it, became quite violent, and he couldn't remember it afterwards. And so eventually Scott uh, met with Paul in a cafe in Coleraine just a couple of weeks ago and said, do you want to be set free the way that Holly's been set free? And prayed with him, and he felt the grip come off his arm. And so then Scott said to him, do you want to give your life to the Lord? And he thought that it was a, it was a slam dunk, but actually Paul said, no, I need a little bit more proof. <laughs> So Scott said, okay, and he prayed for him in the cafe there. And in his prayer, he said, Holy Spirit, would you come like a rushing wind? I don't know why he prayed that, but those are the words he used. It's a biblical notion. And he said, at that moment, a wind blew through the whole cafe, experienced by everyone in there as if a door had been opened on the stormiest day. And just this wind came through. Holly experienced it. Paul experienced it. Scott, everyone in there. And Paul just opened his eyes, freaked out, and said, okay, okay, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And this is what Holly wrote. She said, Paul and I just looked at each other and laughed. Only the day before, I feared that he might kill me and the kids. We were free after 22 years. I am free. My family are safe and happy. I've gone from being a recluse with constant suicidal thoughts to hugging people. God is real. The Bible is true. I'm excited to live through Jesus. My name is Holly. I'm 26 years old, and I came to life three weeks ago. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the presence of God? See, here's the deal. We finish where we started. The Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem and blessing Obededom. But in the new covenant that we live under, we are the Ark of the covenant. We are the carriers of the presence of God. Indiana Jones was looking in the wrong place all those years. We carry the presence of God. Not really because we're special, just because we're human 
And, 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 and the Scriptures say that we were a handful of dust until God breathed His Ruach, His Spirit, His breath, His presence into us, and we came alive. And one day when that Spirit leaves us, we return to dust, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But everything in us knows that we are created to be carriers of the presence of the living God. And so we hunger and thirst. One thing I desire, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to seek Him, to gaze upon His beauty. We are made for the presence of God. Holly and Paul in Northern Ireland know that. Fernando in Spain certainly knows that. Martin Luther King knew that. Desmond Tutu knows that. 3,000 years ago, King David and little old Obadidum knew that. And I want to sum it up, therefore, in Psalm 84. Now, I've got a theory about Psalm 84. My theory is that Obadidum wrote Psalm 84. I need to say at this point, there's absolutely no academic evidence for this whatsoever. But the words are so resonant with Obadidum's story of experiencing God's presence and then just wanting to do anything he could around the temple. That if Obadidum didn't write this, then he certainly must have read these words and maybe even shed the occasional tear. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather, get this, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. How many doorkeepers can they have had in that place? I'll leave you with my theory. And uh, maybe one day some academic will debate it for about 30 seconds before kicking it into touch. But uh, I'll hold on to it as long as I possibly can. So we're going to uh, just make some space to respond to these words now. I said that I, I just wanted to throw out lots of stories to make you long for more of the presence of God. Like that swimmer longing to breathe. Like that lover longing to be with their loved one, like David longing to be in the house of the Lord. Tonight at the evening service, I'm going to do the second part in this talk. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to look at three obstacles to encountering God's presence and how you can go deeper than ever before. We're going to make space for prayer ministry. Maybe some of us are going to respond by just making some space to be in the prayer room tonight or this week, King David's desire to be in the presence of God will motivate us. But for some of us, maybe this is just an opportunity now to invite the presence of God afresh into our lives. Maybe for you it's the first time. Maybe you've done this a thousand times. But also to invite the presence of God into our families and homes, like Obadidim, and into our businesses and our workplaces because that is the hope of the world. So let's stand together, shall we?